Um, The Bible reading today comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me a share of your estate. So he divided his property between them. Not longer after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, famine in the world, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son was mine, with mine was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came to the near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and the father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go him. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But his father answered, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you gave me even... Yet you've never given me even your, a young goat. So I came to celebrate, to, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his father, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes has comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Luke chapter 15 is uh, the passage that we're looking at this morning, and it's probably one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. I love this passage, and it's probably a passage that is more often, it's one of the most preached passages, I think, as well. And I love it because it's for people who feel distant from God. This passage is for you. It's for people who have walked away from God. Maybe it's due to life circumstances, due to stresses, family challenges, working tirelessly, just busyness or whatever reason, and you've found yourself distant from God. This passage is for you. I also love this passage because it's for people who feel, you know, weighed down in guilt and shame. When the temptations of sin just have a a stranglehold over your life. 
that no matter what you do or how hard you try, you just cannot be free of it, this passage is for you. And I love this passage because it's also passages, a passage for long-time church goers who attend regularly, who give of their time, who give of their money, who serve the church with their gifts and skills. This passage is for you too. And this is also a passage for people who tend to think, I know someone who needs to hear this passage. Well, this passage is for you too. So let's get straight into it. Um, if you've got your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter uh, 15, and we're going to look at verse 1 uh, to begin with. Um, it, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So here we, in these first two verses, we see... Uh, who Jesus is speaking to. We understand the context about this passage. There's tax collectors, sinners, we're gathering to hear Jesus speak. And these are the complete outcasts by the religious. They're viewed to be rejected by God. They might have been immoral people. And, and so the religious could not be associated with such people. And Jesus was known for sitting down for a meal with sinners and tax collectors, tax collectors. And in the eyes of the religious elite, it implied their acceptance of their immorality. And so the Pharisees and the scribes come to criticize Jesus as he is speaking to the crowd of sinners and tax collectors who have gathered around him. And Jesus takes the opportunity to explain three separate stories, which I think are best read all together as one story. So the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. It says in verse 3, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here the shepherd seeks out the one lost sheep. He is not content with his 99 that he has. So he leaves the 99 for the one. The 99, they're safe, they're found, they're in the herd, in the open country. But he's not satisfied with the 99. He wants all 100 of his sheep. God wants every last one of his children. The second story, the lost coin, verse 8. You can read along chapter 15 of Luke. Or what a woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
You know, this lost coin would be a serious matter. You know, if I saw a coin on the ground, I don't think I'd even bother to pick it up, to be honest. That's like too, that's too much for my back now, you know. I wouldn't even bother to pick it up. But in that day, it was probably like worth a day's wages. So, and apparently today uh, in Australia, an average daily wage is about $350. So it's like searching for a $350 note in your house. Uh, And, you know, this house is probably a single room with tiny windows, so that even in the middle of the day, it's dark inside. So she has to go through the effort of lighting a a lamp, sweeping it until she finds it. God goes to every effort until he finds his children. And the third story, the parable of the lost son, Ella read to us so beautifully. It's a story of where a son squanders his father's inheritance with wild living. He hits rock bottom and he returns just to be hoping to be treated as a slave in his father's house. But his father runs to him, embraces him and restores his position as his son. And he throws a party, a celebration that his son has returned. And then we see his elder brother, who has always done what his father says, gets jealous of his younger brother. You know, the point of all these three parables is pretty clear that God is seeking the lost. God is not passive. He's not hiding. He's the seeker. He is the pursuer of our hearts. He is the initiator. He is the one who seeks his lost children. And it makes me wonder as I was reading this passage, what's the motivation here? Why does God seek us out? And why, when he finds us, does he embrace us? You know, even in the midst of our, our sin and even when we repeatedly stuff up, when we hit rock bottom or we're abandoned by everyone else, why does God still embrace us and take us into his family is it well because he loves us and i guess so well but you know no matter how much i love someone i don't think i would be giving them expensive clothes and a gold ring if they had just previously spent all that they had uh, on prostitutes and parties i'd be like maybe a bit wary about that um so maybe yeah so yes i think god's love is an important feature here, but I don't think it's an adequate explanation of this parable. I think the father treated the lost son like that because he plainly just wanted his son. He wanted a son back. He didn't want a slave. He wanted relationship with his son. God's priority is relationship. That's why the woman searching for the coin is earnest and persistent Because God's earnest and persistent in his relationship with us. And that's why, like the shepherd pursuing his sheep, God is not content with the 99. He wants relationship with you. And that's why, like the father embracing the lost son, he does not hold your mistakes against us. He wants relationship with us. God's priority is relationship with his children. All of them. 
Any of you here this morning uh, list makers? You know, maybe you've got a notebook at home or in your handbag uh, and where you just write lists of the, and uh, you keep a list or you keep a list in your, uh, your notes in your phone app. Some people just love making lists. They have a list for everything. It's a, it's a to-do list, a, a life goals list, a what to do on date night list, a bucket list list. Um, you, you'll have a list. Some people have a list for everything. And like you, you know, you'll sit down to write your list and the first item on your list was write list. And so it just feels good. Ah, check that one off. Yeah, the satisfaction of being able to check off that first item on your list. I'm not much of a list maker. I'm more of a mess maker. Um, But consider if your life was a list, what would be on it? If the priorities were at the top of the list, what would be on the top of your list? We live busy lives and there are a lot of competing priorities. So where is your relationship with God on that list. Not ideally, but realistically. Is he top 20? Top 10? Top 5? If your life was a list of your priorities, what would be at the top? Because God's priority is relationship with you. And it begs us to question, is relationship with God our priority too? There is one final character in this passage we've not yet considered. In contrast to the lost son that is the son that didn't go anywhere. And we could call him the obedient son. Or the the jealous son. Let's read about him in, in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field... And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And as he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, These many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The elder son was upset when his younger brother returned, not because I'd, there was like a sibling rivalry here. I don't think that's, that's the reason here. He's upset with his father's response. He notices the extravagance of this celebration and wonders why he deserved it. And the eldest son is really saying, well, what about me? Look how faithful I have been. Why celebrate him when he's done nothing but wish you were dead, reject you, and then disobey you? 
But for me, I've never disobeyed you. I've done everything that you've asked of me. And the reaction of the elder son mirrors the self-righteous heart of the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus is speaking to here. They don't get that relationship is God's priority. The father doesn't go, oh, you know, my mistake, I forgot about you. Let's, let's add your name to the birthday cake. Quick, let's get another card and quick, everyone pass it around and sign it for the older brother. Let's make sure he feels included. No, the father, now aware of the son's feelings, doesn't celebrate his obedience. The father doesn't even respond with a rebuke either. He doesn't say, you know, come on, show some compassion for your brother. Aren't you glad he's back? He doesn't respond like that. The father doesn't celebrate his obedience nor rebukes him. He entreats him. He gently appeals to him. Verse 31. The father responds with, Son, you are always with me. All that, and all that is mine is yours. The elder son had it all. He just did not realize the extent of his privileges. The elder son just wanted a chance to celebrate with his friends. Nothing like the extravagance of the youngest son. But he saw his father like a slave master. And himself like a slave. And so, that, and so he never exercised the privilege to be able to throw a party in his dad's house. All that the father's, that all that was the father's was his. He didn't understand that the father's priority was relationship, even with himself. He thought he wanted slave-like obedience. But the father doesn't want that. He wants a faithful relationship. And they're very, very different things. The elder son doesn't actually understand the nature of the relationship. You know, even though he's been faithful for years and years, maybe even decades, he still doesn't get it. That the father wants and prioritizes relationships. And the challenge for us is that we too need to see God as father, not as slave master. Philemon 8 and 9 says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. In here, this passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, I could command it of you, but it's not really loving. I want to appeal to you instead. I want to plead with you with what you ought to do. And Paul here, I think, is expressing God's heart. The Father is pleading to our hearts, not commanding like a slave master. The Father is not just trying to get the Son to do the right thing. He's trying to awaken in him to what the relationship of love is like. He doesn't want slavish obedience. He doesn't want performance. He doesn't want our lip service. 
He doesn't want us to come to church each week pretending we have it all together, maintaining the facade of that we're the perfect Christian with the perfect Christian family, with the perfect Christian parenting, with the perfect Christian kids. God doesn't want our performance. Because this is really important. This is really important because if we do not get this, if we do not grasp that God does not want our performance, then we will project this, our standards and expectations of performance on those around us. Because we think that's what God expects of us. We're going to project those on those we work with, on our families, on our friends, on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we'll be critical when they do not live up to our own standards and expectations. And the result is we perpetuate a culture of fear and anxiety rather than overflowing with the safety and security of the grace we have received from God the Father. God does not want our performance. So don't expect a performance from everyone else. The famous... The famous 1 Corinthians 13 passage that is about love that is read in every wedding ever says, Love, it does not insist on its own way. Or in other translations says it does, it is not self-seeking. See, God's priority is relationship with you. And it's characterized by love. And that's not a compulsion or pressure. Or a performance. God's priority with us this morning is relationship. One thing our family loves are blueberries. You know, if we get a punnet, they don't last very long. They go very quickly. And uh, Clyde and I have tried a few times... Uh, to plant blueberry bushes, because we, we love them so much. We'd be like, how good would it be just to you know, walk outside and have a, heaps of blueberries? Anyway, they just keep dying, unfortunately. Um, we just can't get any fruit from them, so that's all right. We'll just keep buying them from the store. Um, but blueberries are so good. They're so delicious. Uh, they're, they're, you know, that deep, bluish, purplish color. They're plump, full of flavor, you know, that sweetly sour flavour. They taste amazing. They're so good. They're great. I love blueberries. They're the best fruit. But every now and then, you come across a blueberry that it just tastes foul. Uh, it's gone completely soft. It's gone bad. And often you don't realise until it's already in your mouth that it's actually started to spoil. It gets even worse with frozen blueberries. I think it's sometimes like a lucky dip. Um, you get a surprise and it's just like a mouthful of mould. Um, it, it's just gross. It's just so gross. But on the outside of these blueberries, they all look fine. They all look great. But sometimes the inside has started to go a little bit wrong. And sometimes being a, an obedient slave and a faithful son or daughter may look very similar on the outside. But what is going on the inside is very different. The heart has very different motivations. So we must consider why we do the things that we do. 
Consider why we follow God. Why do we do the things that God asks of us? Why do we do the things that we think God is expecting of us? And is your obedience to God driven by compulsion or fear or pressure? If that's the case, then you probably see God like a slave master and yourself as a slave rather than as family. Paul explains a little bit about this in Galatians chapter 4, 1 to 7. It says this, What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sons, to sonship, because you are his sons. And God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Jesus' coming, his death and resurrection, giving, the giving and pouring out of the Holy Spirit redeemed us to the status of children of God. If God wanted slaves... He would have never sent Jesus. He wants sons and daughters because relationship is his priority. If you, when you're reading the story of the prodigal son, and if your natural response is actually to connect with the feelings of the older brother, you feel his frustration is justified, it kind of feels fair, then my challenge to you is to further explore your privileges as a child of God. Because the point the father is making in the story is that if you realised your privileges, you wouldn't get upset about the younger son having a celebration. See, because sometimes I feel like we can even envy the younger son. Wouldn't it be great just to self-indulge for a little bit? You know, just let off some steam and then come back and, you know, if you find yourself getting jealous of the world in all its self-indulgence or even pulled into it, we may feel that way because we need to more fully understand who we are as children of God. We don't understand that what they are missing in their self-indulgence. And I think the reaction the father wants the older brother to have, other than the joy of of restored relationship with his brother, second to that, is actually to feel empathy for what his younger brother has missed out on when he's gone. Because as children of God, there are wonderful privileges. And we are missing out on so much of it, of its fullness, if we are just slave to God. 
during the lockdowns, one of the positive things that came out of it for our family when we were confined to 5Ks around our house was that we got to know that 5Ks a lot better uh, than we previously did. And we discovered a small park nearby, uh, rediscovered it rather, and you know, it's got this small playground for the kids. It's, it's far away from any roads. It's surrounded by large trees that provide great shade. You know, it had a fairy garden with toys for kids to play with. And it had a book box. And it had like this never-ending bucket of chalk. There was just always more chalk there for people to draw on on the path. It was a great park that we, dis- that we rediscovered. It was our choice meet-up location. Uh, during the lockdowns. And we, you know, we even celebrated Isaac's second birthday there, and there's a photo of, uh, of us celebrating his second birthday. We thought that we knew this area so well, but we realised during the lockdowns that there was more to this area. It was always there, but we never utilised it. We never enjoyed it. And it wasn't until we explored the area we began to enjoy the privileges of living where we live. And it's the same for our relationship with God. I think the main privilege the obedient son doesn't enjoy is his authority as a son. He has the authority to have a party in his dad's house. But he doesn't grasp the privilege, so he grows resentful and jealous instead. As Christians, we have a new status conferred to us. Not slaves, but family. Sons and daughters of God. Tim Keller says this about the privilege of authority. The children of God are given authority over sin and the devil. They are to move about the world in knowing that it belongs to their father. There should be a confidence and a poise about them. Children have the honour of the family name. There is a wonderful new status conferred on us. Do you feel like sin overpowers you or darkness unnerves you? Do you feel doubtful and fearful as you engage in work or in school or in uni or go about the world? Do you feel overwhelmed with shame, not good for anything? These things are not who we are. We are sons and daughters of the almighty king of the universe and he tells us, son, daughter, You are always with me. All that is mine is yours. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. So my challenge to you this week. Will you make it your priority to make him your priority? I want to challenge you also to read through Romans chapter 8 and try and find seven privileges as a child of God. And authority is one of them. 
I want you to go through Romans chapter 8 and tr- this week and try and find seven privileges as a child of God that we have. And the first five people that find it and then and text me or email me those seven privileges, I will buy you a chocolate bar. You have until Wednesday. Romans chapter 8. See what privileges you discover that we have in Christ. And maybe God highlights one of those to you that he wants you to explore. God's priority is relationship with us. Whether you've never really known him, whether you've walked away, or even if you've been faithfully serving for years and years, God's priority is relationship. Son-like, daughter-like relationship. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're a God that would come and lay down your life so that we might have relationship with you. And not just slave-like relationship, but we would be heirs, we would be sons and daughters of the Almighty King. God, help us to explore what it means, who we are in you. Help us to explore our privileges so that we might grow in our love for you and that we might better reflect your love to the world. Reveal these things to us. Help us to get into Romans chapter 8 and explore and, and discover the deepness of the privileges that we have as children of God. God, we, we thank you that you love us like sons and daughters. Thank you that you appeal to us gently. God, may we respond, may our hearts awaken in a loveful relationship. May we prioritize you as you prioritize the lost. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.